0: Come to Catholic stuff.
1: You should know the J Ten Initiative. on, all right. Welcome to the podcast, Father John. This is Father Mike, and we have a uh, European illustrious guest guest today, oh, a yeah. illustrious guest, Father Joe McGill, friend of ours from Scotland.
2: Yeah,
0: delighted to be here.
2: Welcome, cool. buddy. I'm told yeah. he
0: can't. He cannot be called Sir. No, or I'm not Sir. The
2: Knight. No, I'm not the Knight either. We I'm had plain old Father Joe. <laughs> we,
1: we had a, no. a interesting conversation <laughs> about. Um, some of our young seminarians making their own um crests and uh and he's like those actually mean something in scotland like oh yeah mcgill family name there's actually a
2: yeah father joe is definitely offended.
1: you can't do that
2: yeah like, it's just kind of like i don't know it's one disgusted. of those ones i don't know if disgust i'm not I don't feel as strongly as disgusted no
1: i believe your words were it's <laughs> <laughs> you what was it you said um yeah, it's cringy. something, cringy. something cringy and, and embarrassing. And embarrassing. Yeah. Cringy and embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, it was All
2: good. Right. But yeah, I mean, I love Americans. They're great. But every now and then there is a little like, wow, well, cringy yeah. and embarrassing.
1: So Father Joe <laughs> reached out in May and uh, his summer plans had kind of been uh, canceled. And I've been trying to get him to come to Colorado for a few years and... It just worked out. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. So he
0: serendipitous. It was indeed.
1: He hiked from Crest Butte to Aspen on Friday.
0: And it kicked my butt. Yes, and
1: he did very well but no you'd never easy been feet.
0: How how many miles? Eleven miles. Say? Eleven miles and then how much vertical two
1: thousand up and then about two thousand wow. down. Yeah. So yeah. you just wow, go up over Russ Pass and down.
2: But to give Lesnar Land like an idea, I'm like a wee short fat guy from <laughs> Scotland. So I'm not super fit. Yeah. What is the wee? We just means small. Okay.
1: Today after mass, he said, We're going to make a wee Thanksgiving.
2: <laughs> Let's try that. Yeah.
0: Wee, we know as um, like urinating.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. We more mean it like, and there's an extra E, so it's W E E. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So that's like,
0: yeah. It's just wee. small. It's just
2: small. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So the, uh, the backstory of Father Joe is we knew him as Joe McGill. And when we were in, when Mike and I were in Rome with a couple other companions, um, there was one of our brother companions in Minnesota, Father Tony O'Neill, um, and Joe's dad, Steve McGill, are like yep, best best, thick of best buddies. And so he you call him yeah. Uncle Tony. Yeah. So we were over there with Coop and uh Litke and um Eusterman and um Tony O'Neill was like, "Hey, you got to meet this guy, the seminarian at the Scots College." Okay, so there's oh, yeah. the American College and the Brazilian College and the, <laughs> all you know, the Irish College and the Scottish College up on the yeah, well, the Scots College, the Scots College. Excuse yeah. me, are right, you referring? Yeah, yeah the Royal yeah. Scots College. Correct.
2: No, that's the one in Spain. It's the Pontifical Scots College. Ah, right? uh, Pontifical. Okay, yeah, we've got a Royal Scots College and it's in Salamanca. In uh, there you go.
1: Yeah.
0: Why is that one there?
2: This Spanish crown give it to us. Oh. after the Reformation.
0: I think one thing that intrigues me about this um, Great Britain. Oh, Are yeah. you in Great Britain?
2: Yeah. yeah so is Great, Great Britain and Northern Ireland is what makes up the United Kingdom. Okay, So that's Britain it. is United the island Kingdom. that is Scotland at the top, Wales on the side, and England in the south. Do
0: you feel like kindred with Canada and stuff? Like Canada? Uh, there's I mean be,
2: There's like Nova Scotia where a lot of like Scots when they were cleared in the Highlands and all okay. that. they took they, people. It. Yeah, there are some other people. But no, I don't know if, if I have a real <laughs> affinity with okay. Canada. I didn't and know even the, more than The Great else.
1: Britain thing was... The real controversial question you could ask um, a guy from Glasgow, or near Glasgow, Joe, Father Joe is a priest of the Diocese of Paisley, which is just west of there, correct? A small yep. diocese. Um, but he's a glas- glas- we-
2: Glaswegian?
0: Glaswegian. Yeah. Yeah. Glaswegian. Oh, yeah, I love it.
1: And uh, we're sitting around a fire, and Phil Bartline says... So you're a Rangers fan, huh? And I was like, Oh no. Oh, I was not no happy. He knew exactly oh, what he was doing. The yeah, rain- but yeah, I didn't ahead. know it's the fun. guy well enough. I know. I know. So I
2: was like, no. Would you slap him or what are you? No, I was uh, you were verbally offended. abusive. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry you went through that. Yeah. That's, it was sad. It's trauma. It was trauma.
1: He's working really hard at not speaking true Scottish here and by saying yeah. saying things like, I was really upset and <laughs> I was very sad <laughs> and
2: well, yeah. I was telling you I was telling you earlier it when you said oh, but yeah. I was telling you earlier when I <laughs> right. when you said oh we're going to go on podcast. It, yeah. I said, well this is like a lose-lose for me because <laughs> either I do my normal voice and no one can understand a word I'm saying or I like change up my voice and people at home are going to be like, why did you sound like that? What yeah. were you doing? Yeah, what was exactly. that voice?
1: It really is a lose-lose. I
0: think you could use slang that would otherwise be offensive and no one would know.
2: Yeah, do you? Well, I'm not <laughs> suggesting it. <laughs> okay. You're not giving me permission. I didn't know we. <laughs>
0: yeah. Is there Glaswegians? Does that have to do with we? No, nice it does home? not. <laughs> it has There's nothing to do people? with that.
2: It's because it's, it's Glasgow, so a, a person from Glasgow is Glaswegian. <laughs> okay. So a, a Glasgow is Glaswegian. <laughs> okay. But there is I mean, okay. there is I a Norwegian. There, there is a gin, you know, like gin and tonic. They make, they make this gin, and it's called Glaswegian. Glaswegian. Yeah, it's ah. really nice. Ah, nice. It's good stuff.
1: So anyways, he's not a Rangers fan. No, very much not. I'm Celtic, Celtic is, man. if you're Catholic... In Glasgow, you were for Celtic, yeah. period.
2: Well, it's a little oversimplification, but yeah, basically. Okay, there you go. Basically. Yeah.
0: Do you, this is. Joe McGill, have you seen Better Call Saul?
2: No, I've never seen Better Call Saul. Okay. However, I do know that that guy's name yeah, the, is the, McGill. Yeah,
0: the, the protagonist is uh, a McGill. Yeah. He's not like the best representative of your clan. No. But. Um, maybe that's why I wondered if you were related I'm or something that.
2: no I have no no relation okay no relation
1: Joe and I have been in the car a lot the last few days and so he's been reading the office and I was like we have to get you to record this all the time <laughs> oh, so yeah. we, the priest, we pray prayed liturgy hours five times a day and there was several days where we were doing a number of them yeah late in the day sure traveling and I was like this your the voice this is the accent so we love we love the accents as Americans but a friend of ours asked him a couple of days ago it's oh, yeah. like wow you know we just love that scottish accent do you feel the same about the american accent and he was like
2: no no (laughs) well i and i was like i was trying to be nice because i'd like i just met these people and i was in the car with them and i knew i was going to be in the car with them for like four hours yeah and this was pretty early in the drive and she asked me that and i was like um well you know uh yeah i could have skirting around it i love Americans. yeah i love americans (laughs) i'm a guest in your country like well and then the, eventually she pushed me on it, and I was like, "Oh no!" You know, know,
0: there's different settings on the you know the map in the car, you in the the narration. Oh yeah, and I like to turn it to you know Irish or Scottish, but then I get lost because I, I can't really follow. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? I love the
2: sound, but I have no idea. Speaking
1: yeah. of speaking of lost, you know, tell them about the saga of.
2: The, oh, so I arrived. Uh, on Tuesday we're sitting Monday night this is Monday night and we uh, so I arrive on Tuesday night and I'm like standing waiting for my bag at the airport and it's like taking a while and I'm just getting more and more frustrated mm-hmm. and they and, uh, so I make this prayer and I say right I'm gonna offer this you know little frustration that I've got right now for the soul in purgatory that needs it the most right now oh yeah so I make that prayer and then my bag doesn't show and we're on day six right now of my bag not <laughs> Still no showing bag. up yeah. and iceland air have no idea where it is oh boy they're actively, actively searching. searching yeah yeah
1: right very actively, right. Very for actively for six days
0: yeah. yeah six months from now they will be actively searching
2: yes
1: well so. so apparently this happens sometimes we were talking to somebody else who a bag disappeared for three months
0: I, came back three months later i i had um one trip to back to Italy where my bags didn't show up at Fiumicino Airport in oh, yeah. Rome. And I don't know what happened. Somehow they but they were they were kind enough that they shipped it to the house.
2: But so it did show up eventually.
0: Up. Yeah. I don't know if it was a week later or something, but that was really nice. Yeah. I didn't have to go back to the airport.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I'm yeah, I'm, that's why I'm hoping for. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, He's not wearing a shirt.
2: <laughs> and he's
0: like this big Scotsman not wearing no, a shirt. I, uh, for can I five just assure
2: days. everyone listening that I am, in fact, wearing okay, a shirt? Okay, he's wearing a
1: shirt. At, at present, he is wearing a shirt, but several days ago, he was not. And if we can just divest in one more story and then we'll move on to yeah. the topic. We're in Crested Butte. Casey Van Pelt yep. is talking to the owner of the restaurant. She loves his shirt, Casey's shirt, but Casey's not wearing it. Joe's wearing it. Because I don't have any other he shirts. He doesn't have any clothes. And she's like, I want that shirt. I have a. I have a shop in the restaurant. This is the secret stash. This is Kylina and a friend of ours. And Casey's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll trade
2: you that shirt. And he goes in to buy into buying the shirt. Yeah. And we just standing outside waiting, it's like a good five minutes.
1: So she comes out and, and she's, she's like, like, we got a deal. Give me your shirt. Take it off. So he's so like, like, oh, okay. And
2: I wet the shirt off in the middle of like the street. And I know is not a massive Hands place, her the but... shirt
1: She walks away Casey walks out With a hat on
0: Oh I was gonna <laughs> traded it for a hat And I'm like gonna
2: be... Casey that's not a good trade <laughs>
0: <laughs> But
2: I'll take the hat As like, long as you got I'm it I'm gonna need something
1: Yeah so It's been a great few days I'm so I'm really grateful To have uh, Father Joe And I'm happy He's That, that awesome. this worked out To uh, podcast with
0: Father Mike Did Joe do any Podcasts in Rome? You've been you on before like you've been on before
2: I did one Where we live podcasted in front of uh in Bernardi. oh okay but it was a mess yeah oh and it was like question and answer session yeah 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 and it seems I just those are usually the, i just got all the worst questions
1: oh live podcasts are usually a mess you
0: yeah. didn't ever play your guitar though no we had a lot of fun not in the late nights with oh, yeah. joe playing his guitar and singing oh, yeah. songs and oh yeah this guy's good fun
1: good things. Right. well in classic catholic stuff fashion um we are going to radically divert into spain and we're not talking about Scotland today. España. We are talking the about... The Royal
2: College. No, oh, yeah, but we, we did mention it earlier.
1: We're talking about the woeful knight. What is it? Uh, yeah. Your, yours night till of death, the, the knight of the woeful figure.
0: Yeah, we've got... Uh, the translation that I've been working with is the, the knight of the rueful countenance. Rueful countenance.
1: This is Don Quixote de la Mancha.
0: He gets that nickname because he was um, attacking a flock of sheep <laughs> and the shepherds did not like it. He thought they were something, monsters or something. And uh, so they started throwing plums at him. And the plum knocked out all of his teeth <laughs> and, and bruised up his face. So Sancho was making fun of him and called him the knight of the rueful countenance or the, the ugly figure or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he loved it. And he took the name.
1: <laughs> and, and he signs a, uh, a letter to his beloved Dulcinea. He's got this lady, because every knight has... We'll explain more here in a second, but every knight has a lady, and he always signs the letters, yours till death. The knight of the woeful figure, rueful countenance. Nice. So the story of Don Quixote is the... Well,
0: he's... Can I say he's the... El ingenioso Hidalgo, Don Quixote de la Mancha. Okay. So he's the ingenious... Hidalgo is like a... What is it? Kind of like a gentleman or something?
2: Yeah, like a knight Uh, errant.
0: Yeah, knight. um, Don Quixote... La Mancha, the Mancha is uh, like a stain. A stain now, on a
1: stain, but it's also the region of Spain, right? Right. So it's kind of right. a play on words. It's a play, yeah. This is where we get Manchego cheese, I believe.
0: Yeah, there you go. Is that true? Uh, I, know I know very little about Spain.
1: I know very little about the Spain, very little about this book. I've read the first half of the, it's a thousand page novel um, in two parts. So I'm halfway done. So I can't uh, speak at all about the second half of it. But I'm here with a, Don Quixote expert and a guy I, who read I'm the first sure four first that, four but. chapters of it also. So <laughs> I do uh, love it. Yeah. So Joe knows slightly more than I do, but let's start by talking about a certain tattoo that um, a certain podcast uh, host might have gotten.
0: Who, uh, Joe? <laughs> you wish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, this is my first introduction to Don Quixote. Was Father Mike? Twelve years ago? Fourteen years ago?
0: Yeah. When was I? It was like after the first year of being a priest. I got a tattoo. Of Don Quixote de la Mancha it's it's based on Picasso's famous uh, Don Quixote mm. which is um, kind of like an ink um, very simple representation of the Quixote with his uh, on his faithful steed Rocinante and um, moving out to battle with Sancho Panza I took Sancho out of it and um, changed a couple of things in order to reflect some of my spirituality and uh, love it, it's just, it. I, I, you you wonder if a uh, if a tattoo is going to age well. Yes, it certainly has. Awesome. I love this thing. Like it the has. day I got it.
1: Did you ever think about doing color in it? I like the black and white, but
0: well, no, that's the P- Picasso had black and white. And oh yeah, yeah. No, I haven't I haven't considered color. I just like it that way. Yeah,
1: it's a fantastic tattoo, and it's quite. Large. And I've
0: got a very like pale attractive gut <laughs> and it fits well with that
1: the tattoo has not grown in stature over the last 14 years though it's stayed it relatively the same it does kind of go in and out, it it kind of in and in out. And sometimes Kyoto gets a little bigger but uh, most of the time yeah so what inspired that if you don't mind us going into your biographical inspire... details here for so
0: well i think originally it was a retreat that i made at the uh, during the spirituality year of seminary um i had been in Seminary college seminary for two years, and um, then spent the whole year of uh, spirituality year in deep prayer. And then you you finish this first year of seminary um, with a thirty day Ignatian retreat. You work the spiritual exercises, and at one point in that retreat, I I realized I made this election. And I recognized, you know, the voice of God and Christ calling me to to consecrate my my life to Him. So it was like I I know myself, and I and I elected to Jesus. I'll follow you with everything, and I don't know what that'll look like, but um, here we go. the The ensuing days, I was reflecting on well, you know, priesthood, and I had come to a point where I had. I met enough diocesan priests and enough priests in general that I realized or I had thought that priestly bearing and character is very stable you know it's kind of like the domestic curate at home with his uh, simple schedule and being there in the village with his people and that I had been attracted to this idea of. Like traveling on missions and working radically with the uh, with the poor and uh, like the Franciscans had, and I saw these different examples with the Jesuits that I had um, worked with and the Franciscans and and others, and so the diocesan priesthood just felt very boring, and stayed, and um, so I told my director. I mean, I was really in this Ernstfall. There you crisis go. kind of um point and i told him you know i i got into this because i read the lives of the saints when i was a kid and i'm an idealist and i want i like radical life and doing things adventurous taking risks and one of those was going to seminary i felt called to it but um i have come to this point where i realize that i'm not really fit for this you know i, I don't fit in these clothes of the diocesan priest, and maybe not priesthood at all. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, with this election, maybe I'm supposed to be like St. Francis of Assisi, who's my confirmation patron and great hero, who was never ordained a priest. He was always a, a mendicant deacon. And I said, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't fit. This is not going to work for me. I'm too wild. I'm too reckless. I'm I'm unst- not, not unstable in a way that's like, you know, um, well, it's just, it just doesn't fit. And it's going to be a difficult thing for me. I'm going to feel like a fool. I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to fail through a lot of this life. And so I don't think it's the right thing. I love priests. I love priesthood. God bless everybody, but I got to go. And my director said, all right, well, you're so wise. Uh, I'll let you go, but only after you read a book. And he had me read Don Quixote de la Mancha. And this, of course, is a book about this, um, old guy who puts on the the armor on his shelf that doesn't fit him at all. And then goes on all these madcap adventures and looks like, you know, well, he is a fool know and he does crazy things and he gets ridiculed and it doesn't look good and he's not like successful he's never like really um this he never fits as the knight Uh, but the part of the point of the whole story is that along the way he's representing these great virtues of chivalry and uh, that had long been lost people didn't care about these virtues anymore and they um they come to respect him in spite of all the madness and the disgust they have for Don Quixote. They recognize that this guy's really going for it and there's something beautiful there. So I realize of course, that um, there's, we live in a time when Christianity is passe all of these virtues, this whole ethic is, you know, something for your grandparents, but it's not for the young and not really something worth giving your whole life to And I, but I prayed, prayed about it. And there were a lot of graces around, um, you, the clothes might not fit for this diocesan priest. You might look like a fool and suck at the job and it's what you're supposed to do. And hopefully it'll inspire people and work for the glory of God. And I said, I will be that fool. (laughs) And I put on a Roman collar and got ordained a (laughs) diocesan priest. So eventually it was like, you know, this was um, a great joy of mine. I love literature. I put a lot of work into learning Spanish and love that culture. And so it kind of came together to, to, uh, and getting a tattoo with an homage that both represents, you know, the Don Quixote is Jesus and I'm the Sancho sometimes other times i'm got to be don quixote and just see myself as the the madman other times it's just i love like seeing madness and enjoying that so uh he's yeah one of my favorite characters and i'm happy to you know, kind of uh i don't know what would you say it um glorify honor him honor is better than glorify by uh, stamping him on my, branding him on my body. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I have to say, um, I've always admired just the sheer fact of you reading the book and yeah, then the it's story. Not an easy read. The story of how it, it's just this kind of creative and literary kind of interpretive key to understanding your priesthood, the quixotic, uh, to use the <laughs> adjective, uh, dimension. Quixotic. Quixotic. That's how they say Well, yeah, Don Quixit is the British. Yeah, is that what they quixotic. say in Scotland too? Quixotic. Mm hmm. Don Quixit, or Quixotic, Michael Rapp. The, um, but I have to say, reading um, the first part of this has been simultaneously um, delightful and absolutely maddening. Yes. I've never read a book like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's certain kind of mountains, that Joe was describing, and passes you have to go over when we use mm-hmm. the colorful mm-hmm. language we were we was working with earlier, but we were just like, what is this? So it's, it's a laborious, but there are moments of just absolute brilliance in this. And so the story, the the brief introduction to this is um, the author, Miguel Cervantes, is born in uh, 1548, I think, uh, and the book is, volume one is written in um, in 1605, and so the 16th century Spain, and again, Mike, you can speak more to this, and we, uh, Father Joe is a historian too, so feel free to kind of chime in at any point, but there's this kind of deep sense of centuries of fighting the the, the Moors and, and the development of the medieval uh, kind of codes of chivalry and especially this notion of knight errantry, that the knight mm-hmm. errant goes out and it's just... And the, the literature and the novels that play out I mean they really St. Ignatius yet, but. sorry not novels yet this is the first novel but mm. um, yeah you got, you got to yeah, I think play you know, into
2: that one of the cool things about Spanish chivalry in particular is that it's way less complicated than other European chivalry mm. because in you know Germany or France or Scotland the knights are fighting other Christians mm. right so there's complication there. there's like a, a like there's grey areas but for the Spanish chivalric like, culture, there's no gray area. They're fighting the... the, the Ottomans. Yeah, yeah the Ottomans, the, 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 the Moors, yeah. The, 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 yeah, that's it's, interesting. It's it's the Islamic State that mm. they're fighting. So, the, the at least for their thought, it's way less complicated than yeah. it is in other places. So, spanish chivalric culture is, is different in that way.
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually really and interesting.
0: And the romances near the end of the 16th century were still in vogue. It was still very popular to read these uh, these stories of the great a- acts of the knights errant, and um, the it was it was seen as something of the past for sure, but it was uh, they were still popular stories. Yeah, because
2: the the, the like, reconquista is done for about two hundred years at this point, right? Something like that. They've 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 taken the whole of Spain, so it's it's the past, but it's not quite like. Yeah. It's not so far away. Well, I mean,
0: Miguel de Cervantes was in the Battle of Lepanto. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of tension in this kind of Ottoman Empire and the Europe. And um, so he's well aware of that. It's clear within the book. Um, but what was, I was going to say that this is considered the first novel in modern history. And that because the, the books, the romances on chivalry... Are just chronicles of great adventures, but they don't really pay a lot of attention to um, the the, the <laughs> thoughts and kind of what's going through the the knight's head <coughs> and um, and then an arc of development within a character, which mm-hmm. sort of characterizes the novel um, eventually. Well, with this is the first you know the precedent.
1: So you would say what describes the birth of the novel is the study of the person itself versus the telling of the events or or kind of the history of of persons involved but this is the story of a of a man of a mind of that's it yeah yeah. you're getting into the kind of
0: and you have some like autobiographical stuff previously like augustine's confession or something that's uniquely psychological right you know he's exploring his own thought process and his own growth but that was very unique and this one is a story about a fictional character but it really gets into the mind of the character. And um, yeah, so birth of the modern novel.
1: Birth of the modern novel. So, and just a couple of days ago, we celebrated the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And in that second reading in the office, he talks about how he was obsessed with uh, story tales of Knight Errantry also. That's right. But then they didn't have any in the library where he, after he got hit by the cannonball on the leg, and uh, he's out of commission, and so he has to read the Lives of the Saints and has this massive conversion. So Mm -hmm. this was just everywhere in Spain. What's interesting about Cervantes, and what makes this book, I think, so brilliant, and so it's pivotal kind of in an epochal way. So we're moving into the modern world here. It's no longer the world of castles and kind of uh, the rescuing of the damsels and, and these things. It's ends and it's we're on the brink of kind of not an industrialized world but kind of a mercantile world so it's not just the and he's living in kind of this mythical world so back to your kind of personal story of like being out of place he and it just looks it it kind of draws to this extreme contrast the kind of ridiculousness of the story which makes it very very funny uh, at times Uh, so quixote is this is this elderly gentleman in an un, unnamed village in, in the area of Spain in La Mancha, which I, I gather is kind of a desert-type area, kind of a rugged terrain. Is that like Craig, Colorado, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. i was so.
0: he's, he's honored in Pamplona, but I don't know if that's the locale okay. for Cervantes.
1: And but. so basically, it's the story of this guy who loses his mind from reading so many. He has libraries and libraries full of, uh, of these tales of knight errantry, and he just absolutely... It, Quixote says that, or excuse me, Cervantes says that in the first few pages, he just loses his mind, and then he sets out, he, he kind of dons himself, okay, as like, makes himself, you know, I, I am a knight, and this is what I'm giving my life to, and I have this woman, Dulcinea, uh, who's like a local peasant woman who he's never even seen before, I don't think, <laughs> no, right? No, he has And he dedicates his entire life and all of his adventures and all of his his peril to to her honor, and he he has these long kind of uh, sequences about her, and and as he's leaving the village he picks up his trusted sidekick, Sancho Panza. Uh,
0: yes. Forever loyal.
1: Who leaves his wife and children in search in in pursuit of being the squire of this great knight.
0: But there's but a reward.
1: An island. Yes. Right? He's he's gonna become the governor he's of the He's promised an,
0: I- an island. Don Quixote tells him that uh the rewards for knights errant is that they always somehow do great great feats that are uh, recognized by some great emperor or local king, and then they give them great uh, lots of lands. And so Don Quixote tells Sancho that I'll, I'll give you an island if you um, serve as my squire.
1: So Sancho sets out with him, and they sally forth. The first round, of the, so he's on his trusted steed, Rosinante, That's which right. is a brilliant naming of Father Mike's old busted-up Italian road bike that the brakes went out on, on. One time we told that That's story. That's right. Um and rocinante is this animal that 's basically on the brink of death um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just yeah. and then I think uh the that um Sancho has a has a um a mule a mule that he's riding or that's something right. like yeah. that, and uh so, a
0: dapple, he calls it
1: so yeah, so they set out so the the beginning of the book is the on the quality and the way of life of the renowned Don Quixote de la Mancha and then of his first sally which doesn't end it doesn 't go out very long, and then he kind of continues out, but a couple of the kind of famous ones um chapter 8 of the six good success which the valorous don quixote had in the most terrifying and never to be imagined adventure with the windmills that's it mm-hmm. so the windmills
0: in my tattoo i have three windmills um that represent various things they could be the the three parishes that i first served as a priest in uh Craig Meeker and Rangeley i got the tattoo from Pam and in, in Craig oh you she, did she, yeah she was like the local tattoo uh, okay. artist okay um it, they could also be, I, often I've prayed with them as the um, poverty, chastity, and obedience, or faith, hope, and love.
1: Very nice. But,
0: but they, they do represent like trying to go after those with great failure.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the, it, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, in Scottish soccer, football, we always talk about glorious failure. Where they come, we come so close and then grasp Glorious defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah. Um but, but there's something but there's something like you can't take your eyes off it. It's the story is the story captivates. Yeah. Can it work? Will it happen? Yeah.
0: So he's fighting
1: windmills, he's attacking um the shep, the sheep, the shepherds you described. Um he sets all these these all these this kind of pack of uh prisoners are walking along and he sets them free because he thinks they're unjustly. He steals this guy's uh, helmet. Remember that. Yeah, yeah. And then the 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 local curate, the priest, and the the barber eventually kind of come after him, and they're like, "We got to get him back." And he's way up in the woods, and he's just doing all this crazy stuff. And there's all these tangential stories, which are oftentimes kind of hard to find. But I think many of my favorite stories. And then we'll kind of wrap up the narrative summary here of the first part. But he's always kind of coming back to this local inn in a village nearby yeah. that he thinks is a castle. A Castle. He yeah. thinks he's in a castle. He thinks that all of these. Uh, people this is the king and the king's daughter who's trying to woo him from the window but he's yeah. faithful to Dulcinea, and it's just like the stories are just unbelievable you and know he-
0: sancho keeps getting beat up <laughs> in all these situations there was the so the 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 daughter of the the innkeeper comes sneaking in thinking that her lover from town has come to visit her and um in the dark she ends up like kind of crawling into bed with with don quixote who like throws her out because he's got his Dulcinea. And of course I am worthy of such, you know, <laughs> interest. But, uh, she, then she runs into Sancho and they think that Sancho is making a move. So when the innkeeper and his wife come in, um, they attack Sancho and he gets blanketed. He gets a blanket thrown over him and he gets beat thoroughly. And, uh, so all throughout book one, he's always reminding Don Quixote that, um, that Quixote is not fighting great adventures. He's just getting Sancho in trouble and blanketed left and right. And then once in a while you have Quixote who will snap at Sancho because Sancho will say, those weren't dragons, those were windmills. Or those were not like, um, you know, the great great, uh, Turkish army. That was a bunch of shepherds. And Don Quixote would remind him, no, there is a great wizard who has vexed us. (laughs) Right, we're under the
1: spell. Confused you. (laughs) The only way that the the curate and the barber get him out of the inn is um, they dress up in masks, and they convince him that this castle is enchanted. And then they throw him in the back of a cart. They imprison him in a cart, and they start taking him out. But he's totally serene because he's like, this isn't part of the enchantment of Of the castle. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. But I... Here's my the question. This whole podcast hinges around, um, and it it ties into something I read years ago um, with Balthazar Glory, of the Lord, Volume Five uh, on metaphysics in the modern world. So he's dealing with the question of what does glory or beauty look like in the modern world. Yeah, and he's,
0: he he's gone through Greek tragedy right. and um, through different Christian authors and tried to track the movement of what is glory and how does that point to Christ ultimately
1: so he's got a, a small little chapter called ridiculousness and Glo- and grace which is on Cervantes now this is tied in with some other some Erasmus and uh, most famously um, i mean i think for our listeners the um, Dostoevsky's idiot so prince mishkin right so he's situating this ridiculous character this old spanish gentleman who has lost his mind and is doing absolutely crazy things Um, but is so pure um, and so completely kind of in it, you could say, that he sees something Christ-like. He's not going to say that this is Christ, um, but it it, it kind of is going to fall on the line of the Holy Fool's um, kind of spirituality of Russia, uh, which Dostoevsky is obviously going to play with in Michigan. So my question is, and this is the question I've been carrying with this book, is like, what is the difference between just absurdity— and madness because this is funny but this is absurd yeah like and and then a kind of ridiculousness that draws out something from the depths of the 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 real heart of the christian life and that cervantes is doing something here that is actually really contributing to the christian ethos and vision of reality um that's my question and i know you've thought about this so you know, well i
0: have i mean i'd have to think about do did you so I haven't read the Balthazar chapter in a minute. So is there a, a particular point that he makes in terms of explaining that connection that he, you know, he sees? I mean, I would, I, so there's, there's different facets to it. Okay. One is just the, um, the innocence of Jesus and his idealism. He has come to represent God and to, um, to preach the kingdom of God in a world that has it where it makes no sense it, it it makes makes some sense to the people who are faithful israel and have read the scriptures been informed by the scriptures and heard the promises of god but it's kind of storybook stuff and so jesus shows up on the scene and somehow in his sort of encounters battles with these Pharisees and the faithlessness of people around. And he's, but he's doing these great miracles. Um, he winds up finding persecution in spite of what seems like just goodness. I mean, the gospel should surprise you that way. Like how is this really nice guy running, you know, being attacked left and right. And, um, yeah, this, the kind of purity of intention, the nobility, uh, yeah, a lot of the virtues I think that Cervantes is trying to celebrate, um, but there's something that, that that doesn't fit. You know, something holy. Holy means outside of the world or apart. So when the holy breaks into the world, it just doesn't make sense, and it's very hard to accept and understand. And that's true of of Christ, almost like a prophetic figure. But the prophecy was always weird. You know, Jeremiah. Take your loincloth and bury it, or you know, to run around the city for three days, and it's like, well, how is this supposed to make any sense or like achieve a purpose? So, I I would say, you know, first it's it's the the innocent prophet, the persecution of the prophet. It's like this is the, this person is doing the will of some something higher than themselves and representing something great, but they're misunderstood and. Um, and even sometimes foolish, or, or at least acting foolish, which is hard to argue for Jesus, but certainly the the prophetic character. Yeah, good.
2: Or John the Thank Baptist, you. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't I don't know if you watched that. I watched a bit of a, the the chosen, the kind of TV. The, John the Baptist is constantly referred to as Crazy John. Crazy mm-hmm. John. And I think yeah. sometimes, like the holy, the set apart, when it breaks into our life, sometimes it can seem a little crazy. Because mm-hmm. if we're Especially if we're not used to it in that way or if it's coming a kind of stranger way, sometimes it can seem oh, this is this is breaking and this is something different. This can and you could react to it as if it's something weird.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you guys are both in parish work and so you deal with crazy people and sometimes the crazy it's like, is this like this might be like deeply of God. Like, and other times it's just straight crazy. Yeah. So
0: it's hard to
2: tell sometimes. And also people think that you could be crazy. Right. Like I'm in the high school a lot. I'm in with teenagers and they like immediately, like don't, they don't understand like what you, what do you mean? Like particularly priestly celibacy. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's so weird Mm. for them. It's like, are you some madman that thinks that windmills are dragons? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. How does this
0: serve any purpose? What are you doing?
1: So here's a line from uh, Balthazar kind of breaking it down. Um, and then I want to circle back to a couple things you said, because I think that we're kind of moving into this uh, here. Here's what he says. If ever in the Christian era a myth was created, this is it. The merry myth of the ridiculousness of the Christian fighting as a knight for the kingdom of God. In no way should Quixote be taken as a symbol of Christ himself. However, by way of ingenious counterpoint, the novel provides many other examples of madness of a purely humankind, especially scorned erotic passion, uh, in the tale, table of stupid curiosity, and he goes to these different people. Commonplace madness provoked by particular incidents is far mm-hmm. removed from Quixote's, const, uh, Quixote's constitutional folly, which is not psychological but purely ideological. His folly closes the gap between the ideal of God's redemptive grace in Christ and the reality of the earthly, allegedly world-transforming actions of the Christians. Okay, so what is Balthazar saying here? There's a lot. We don't have time to go into it. But basically, he's looking at it as Quixote, as this holy kind of proto-holy fool, kind of Baptist-type character, is actually drawing out for people the ridiculousness of human life Mm -hmm. and the kind of crazy drama uh, of of human life, Uh, because everybody's just operating like we have it all together. And especially as we're kind of in the advent of modernity here in the 1600s, technology is starting to take place. We're getting control of things we think that we have it all together and quixote just is this character who kind of shatters the illusion that things are not that life is not crazy and jesus does that and i think so mm-hmm. he he's not a figure of christ strictly speaking but there's something of that the, uh, the prophetic as you said which i think is a nice way of locating this so it's not so much is quixote's madness actually you know and his just his just total and categorical commitment to the world that he lives in that's not really how we're supposed to live like this illusory reality but there's something about this character who lives so purely and completely and definitely Dostoevsky's doing this also that he actually draws out from the world around him in, in, in ridiculous ways, actually, just how broken and, and complicated things are.
2: Yeah, sometimes your bags don't make it.
1: Sometimes your bags don't make it. We don't have control. You're standing in the middle of Elk Avenue in Crested Butte without a shirt on because an army ranger just traded it for a hat.
2: Yeah. Ridiculous. We don't, we don't, we're, we're in the position where we're not actually in control.
1: And we like that. Yeah. And that's why we like telling that story mm. and hearing that story, and that's why we like reading Don Quixote. Yeah. And I think that's what was resonating with people was... Um, you know, stories are only interesting when they're crazy, really, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah, that's what makes them funny and interesting. Right, exactly. It's not now, mundane.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, on this point about Quixote is like a foil or like a mirror to the mad world that calls itself sane or looks sane. It does, you know, Balthazar has just mentioned um, the obsessive madness that comes from romance. And that's a regular theme here. It's like, you're going to see people ruin their lives over and over for love in the Quixote. It's um, rich people who fall in love with poor people and then are go broke. There's a, a guy who runs after a shepherdess and ends up totally mad, naked out in the, you know, just a, like a, a, a sane guy otherwise who is um, drawn into madness by love. It's like Cupid, you know. Uh, but at the time, this makes perfect sense, you know. You're allowed to go crazy for the right reasons. And there's a critique that says, is that really, is that life, you know? Are you supposed to, to stay miserable and for, for 10 years, wishing that you were with this, you know, lover or whatever, this infatuation, and ruining your life? And uh, and then you have Quixote with his, his crazy life, but it's awesome. You know, he's doing really cool stuff and he's being praised by people around the world by, you know, part two. There's novels written all over the world about this crazy night. And so there's a question of like, what is the glory? And you can see that, you know, you can see that in our own time. There are lots of people who are terribly depressed and, um, you know, racked with anxiety because they've been, they they they're crazy over advancement in the in their career, in success in life, in 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 finally landing that romance that they're they're chasing, and they're they're desperately sad. They're they're a mess. And what was Hemingway's thing is like most men live lives of quiet, quiet desperation, desperation yeah. right? And yet we we pretend as a culture that these these kind of regular goals are actually going to make you happy, yeah. and you have this guy come in and blow it up, uh, who's the madman, but who is living a happier life I mean he's very satisfied, yeah he is. To, until yeah. you know later when he realizes oh i was I'm ashamed because I was crazy, okay, but in the midst of his madness, he's doing awesome stuff, yeah, and yeah. he knows it,
2: yeah, he's not reaching for. Something that actually ultimately isn't there, yeah, well, he is, but he doesn't know it, at the time.
0: but he's showing everybody you think you're you think your life is you know you think your priorities, your interests are, are making you happy, no, no, they're driving you sad and nuts, but a different kind of nuts, just a miserable one,
1: so if somebody's listening to this and, and says, okay, like we're we're hitting on um kind of a contour of the Christian experience, especially in the modern world, you describe that of like You know, Or or as you were saying, Joe, just like, we look ridiculous. Celibates look ridiculous in the 21st century. People just, I mean, they think it's just absolutely third eye on your forehead kind of looking Mm -hmm. at you, you know. Um, So what does this actually mean for the Christian? Like, what do we have to learn from, from what is Cervantes doing that we have to learn from? And is he doing something directly? Because sometimes I wonder if it's more of, like, he's making a cultural and a comedic move that is coming out of a deep catholic culture but it's not explicitly he's not explicitly doing this as some well, kind he's of, a good catholic to the yeah, end right yeah
0: even if he was he was censored he was jailed all kinds of stuff but the stuff. book doesn't it's lead very interesting but that way.
1: but the book doesn't lead that kind of overly christian
0: no way like, no. It,
1: you know like i mean it's obviously coming out of a it's a steeped in the you know spanish catholic and world and
0: quixote's not doing great things for God or anything like right, that right he's his, his greatness is for his yeah, so glory. And, and his own glory right
1: so what's the kind of takeaway either for reading this or from like listening to this in terms of just like how do you like locate this into the the person's life because that's I, I'm also struggling with this I'm not asking this well kind of let me pedantically. let me
0: tell a little story um, this is kind of digressing to my point but I think it is you know sort of an illustration I, I did a wedding and I was at the the reception. Now, when you go to a, as a priest, when you go to a wedding reception, there's a few kind of I don't know, sad situations or at least I find boring, which is the the couple they want to they want to assign your seat with the two problem people. Okay? <laughs> One of them is that's my cousin, they hate church. So you go convert them. And they're really annoying. It's hard to sit with that guy. And, uh, it can make for a miserable reception if you just want to go and hang and dance and meet people and whatever. The other, the other terrible person to sit with is, oh, well, I hope this isn't going to be remembered. Um, the, the other terrible person is the super religious person in my family. Okay. I'm going to put you with aunt so-and-so who's really religious. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they just want to talk religion and dote over you. You're just amazing. And it's really annoying, you know? Um, I don't know. Hopefully, you know, I that's not good advice for anybody who's trying to sit their their friend. Yeah. Okay. So I go to this rece- reception and the lady is the, the religious one. And um, she tells me, um, oh, I'm just, she's been drinking a little bit. Oh, I'm just so sad for you. I just wish that you could get married. Oh, you, you guys, I don't even, I don't believe it. You're so sweet. You're so, you're so great. And you can't have this, the great joys of marriage, you know? And then as she's drinking a little bit more, she spends the next 20 minutes telling me how terrible her, her married life is. <laughs> she's getting a divorce. Her kids hate her and haven't talked to her for a long time. And how everything is just blown up. And I'm like, well, how, did, how are you missing this? How are you missing this piece about, I have, you know, this romance is the perfect thing and we should all be wanting it. And it's making you miserable. And there's this kind of provocative Witness of the celibate, that is uh, both totally confused, and then also kind of making her look at her own, you know, kind of misery. This paradoxical misery. Um, but it's that it's that kind of, uh, yeah, just like the provocative place of uh, the mirror that's that's pushed on people.
1: That's a great image. Yeah, Yeah. Joe, go. Do you want to add to that?
2: No, just to 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 add. Like it shows us. And reminds us, if you if you're reading this book, that like it brings out this idea that you know, hey, we don't actually have it all under control, and you know, you could be, you, the the control could either be the people who are looking at Don Quixote and thinking we need to get rid of all these romance books, and you know, get laughing at them, or the, the Don Quixote could be the one who's completely out of control and showing us our, our own thing. But I think for me, the idea is, you know. Where's we don't actually have control of, of of life in general. Like, things happen. You know, bad things can happen and crazy things can happen. And to be kind of, you know, not attached. It's this, I think it's the attachment thing to the world yeah. that, like, brings up for me. Anyway.
1: I love that. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, from Balthazar's perspective, um, beauty is something that um, we first perceive and then enraptures us so um, Quixote is the ultimate uh, obsessed lover with the ideal of beauty he sees things yeah. that are not there but he sees in an inn a castle he sees in a kind of a, a, a prostitute hanging out in the inn like you know one of the great kind of maidens of the of the country he you know he he sees things and so so there's something about how beauty does captivate it and it does play off like with all of these kind of Ridiculous situations, many of which are driven by the the deeply erotic nature uh, within people. But it, there is something about beauty kind of driving, and it puts us into this position where we hit crisis, things collapse, we grasp for control, we think we have it all together, um, but we have to be able to laugh. Yeah. And, I, and the sense of humor is, as Ratzinger said one time, the measure of faith. I think that's a I very, heard that. inter- I just heard that. very interesting insight that's in Introduction... I think it's an introduction to Christianity, but um, Joe and I were talking about this recently. We were talking about just working with uh, young guys in seminary who are more tratty and we're kind of like, we agree on this point. It's like, you can be tratty, but you got to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> don't be a jerk and don't just be yeah, sullen, you know, point. like you got to be, you yeah, got to you gotta be able to laugh. You got to be able to self deprecate. Like yeah, we just had an amazing conference with Larry chap and he was just such a delight because he's brilliant, but he's just, the humility and the levity and um and
2: there's so there's it's so attractive when you see someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously there's the right amount of seriousness but also like a willingness to be ridiculed sometimes a willingness to take ridicule and to laugh at yourself like one of the things that i've always found super um inspiring about you uh, mike was your just total ability to like not take yourself too seriously. You know, I'm not,
0: uh, not worth that, taking seriously. <laughs> yeah,
1: but <laughs> but you think about this like in an extreme way um, that Don Quixote is written at the height of the Spanish Inquisition.
0: Yeah, like and the Counter Reformation. The Counter
1: Reformation, right? and there are great saints running around Spain at this time. I mean, there are there's unbelievable um, outpouring of 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 heroic sanctity, but just the that kind of. Part, aspects of the the post-reformation attempt of like we got to just take back control of the catholic world and in the midst of that you just have this thing come out and it's like yeah but this is all ridiculous in the end right i mean like yeah. it's only jesus who provides any kind of stability the world is really illusory and, and it is filled with just these these desires so that are absolutely irrecon- irreconcilable and we have to be able to laugh, but we also have to be able to have hope. Um,
2: sure, because our home is not this world. Right. This is not what the this is not the point of it. We're to know, love, and serve God, and to be happy with Him in the next. Right. You know, this it's the the life to come that we're that we're looking forward to. Our home is in in heaven. Ultimately, that's where we are aiming for. And if we put our hope only in this world, then we're going to find out that it's all ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I th- and I think of faith alongside humor. It's the if you if you don't if you don't have humor, it's like you're trying to sell something. It's like you you just go through Christian life or priestly life, just barking at people, like just buy this, buy this dogma, buy this doctrine, buy this practice, and it's it, it, it's hard to believe that person. You know, it's hard to believe that you believe it. You've just been sold it and your your kind of whole basis of life is to win. Win people into your thought. Convince, convince, sell. And I think the person with faith can just say, Hey, here's a proposition. I know it's crazy, but that's the beauty of it. And and it's not it's kind of the crazy, the ideal, the dream that's real. And yeah. you have to that's faith in, in some profound way. Is that uh, all of this other, you know, conviction and passion and absolute knowledge and all of these things—they're all silly—and you kind of, you know, pick what you're going to live for. And uh, and like you said, Christ is the thing that's—it's that's really worth living for. So I I see the the levity as a proof of conviction. It's like I don't even have to convince you of anything. I believe it. I know it. I not only believe it. I know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to convince myself with a bunch of energy or, you know, convince everybody else, but really just enjoy it. You know? yeah. Enjoy the the fun of it all.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah you believe it because you know him. Yeah. You know, it's it's a person.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's a friendship. And that's the most delightful part is that it's not, there's, a, there's dogma that helps us to understand everything. And it itself is just like really fun and fascinating to get into. We're theologians. But, yeah, it's that friendship. You know? it's walking with the walking with the madman or with the saints. Maybe I think of the saints as the Quixote figure, the, you know, the ones that s- sell everything and go for this wild dream that Jesus had and presents to the world that is uh, more beautiful than anything else.
1: Well, and you're off that 30 day doing the exercises, and, and Balthazar, being a Jesuit for most of his life is going to say there's massive parallels between Ignatius yeah. and and quixote and what cervantes is doing here um it's hard for us not to read ridiculousness as the absurdity of kind of the existentialist mind of the last century so mm. just the kind of meaningfulness of things or meaninglessness of things yeah versus know the world as this self-contained reality that's supposed to be completely ordered and make us very kind of comfortable and kind of perfected as you said like removing the kind of pilgrim aspect of life. That's what that's the most ridiculous thing ever. And that we have to laugh at. We have to laugh at the fact that we keep buying that because we need Jesus and we and we're not made for this life. So
0: one of the saintly kind of um witnesses that I've been, I don't know, intrigued by of late is uh chaps Dorothy Day and the Peter Morin, who just they they go hard and they go all in on their idealism and their their dream of um, serving Christ in a world that's kind of pushing back or against the stream, you know, there's salmon in a stream that's gonna sweep everybody away. <laughs>
1: that was a prequel, folks.
0: The salmon, the salmon <laughs> the thesis. Story. Now here's two two other um, kind of tidbits about Cervantes that are not related to the conversation. Cervantes died on the same date as. Bill Shakespeare. Oh, really? So, there are a lot of uh, literary critics and interest is around comparing the two and the different cultures in Spain and England and their own like what are what's what do they think literature is about? And not really literature for Shakespeare; it's theater. But what is this um, form? How can it uh, speak to people? Elevate elevate culture? Um, sort of glorify the author i mean they were seeking glory part of cervantes is making fun of himself with the quixote in a lot of ways in his madcap search for glory um okay so the one is the shakespeare and then the other is that one thing that's really fun about reading the quixote is to see how he writes with this meta meta you know you you know of meta as this kind of like you break the fourth wall And now he's he's writing this Quixote, but Quixote is being narrated by Cervantes, who is kind of outside of the book and looking at his own culture. And then there's critiques from his own culture. In part two, he's going to talk about people who are insulting him and giving him a, a bad Yelp review. And then also writing in these insults toward other authors who write, you know, pathetic literature themselves. So there's this there's this kind of wild experience of where am i and um am i with cervantes is the quixote supposed to be him is it supposed to be you know making fun of everything is it uh making fun of the reader where does the reader stand so i think it's really fun web that way and that's that's kind of come back like if you i don't know about Oppenheimer, but um Christopher Nolan likes to play on the levels mm. you know yeah, where are you and where are you in time and where are you are you looking at yourself or you know all these things so check that out it's worth it's worth the read it's hard it's worth it's the
1: read long. vale la pena
2: yeah i'm going to try again
1: all right good man
2: making that promise
1: all right well thank you we better wrap it up here you got any shout outs to scotland oh, hey, or anybody abroad last, last one. last <laughs> oh, sorry there was three
0: one of your favorites there wasn't three but now there is uh One of your favorite shows is a quixotic tale. Seinfeld. And I'd like you to think about it. No, it's The Office. Oh, The Office. Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Total, you know, madcap, absurd, but fun and interesting, and somehow he's beloved and doing kind of inspiring, in spite of himself. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said.
0: I don't know who he's Dulcinea is, but Dulcinea. alas
2: Alas. Um, yeah, I'll uh, shout out uh, Varian Cole Holman, who I'm going to go and visit in Texas nice. uh, next week which is going to be really hot, but I'm looking forward to that and then uh, and also, uh, my dad sometimes listens to this, so hey, oh, Stephen McGill
1: Stephen McGill, what a guy Michael, you got
2: well, anybody?
0: Can I can I have one interview question for the Joe McGill Tell me one big grace from your experience as a priest
2: One big grace is my experience from a priest Um one thing that sticks out the most is the absolute joy of receiving someone into the church mm. and being the one to do that. So um, shout out Ellie Rogers, who's uh, a girl from the high school who, who wanted to, to become a Catholic. And so that really is like a huge joy is yeah. it's bringing someone and being able to be the person to do that. Yeah. It's just an incredible.
0: Spiritual fatherhood yeah. and giving that life and seeing seeing the joy of you know, the Christian life. Well, praise God. Uh, I'm going to shout out um, Brennan and Meredith White, whose uh, wedding I've just done, and it was beautiful, and I'm proud of them and excited for them. There was also a young man there called Rob Martin, who is um, headed off to seminary in Lincoln, I believe, and uh, just a real nice guy to talk to, and I wish him well with the uh, journey into seminary and, um, you know, I encouraged him to, to keep his eyes on Christ. That sounds so, you know, cliche or something. But I really felt, you know, that this guy was was ready.
1: Nice. Um, this has been a long time since so I gave a shout-out. But uh, in June, Father Kyle Tannehill uh, was ordained priest. Kyle yeah. Was one of our great alum out of buddy. Denver recently. And love that guy. So we were out there, and I met Logan and Abby. We got married two weeks later, and they went... Uh, on their honeymoon, backpacking in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Where's that? That is south of Glacier National Park. That is grizzly oh. country. So to take your new bride out, kind of quixotic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's wild. Go for it. Hey, one
2: less lesson. one. Hopefully by this point I'll have sorted out how to get the delivery there, but shout out to Jonathan Freaker. Jonathan yeah, Freaker. Best photograph ever of. An yes, we
1: do. Yes, we do. By the time this comes out. The most the,
0: unlikely place. rocket scientist. That I know. <laughs>
1: Talk about a Don Quixote, right, yeah. at Amazon um, Web. Yeah.
2: yeah. Alive, AWS. Man.
1: Yeah, you two together, was that was next level. Talk about crazy. Meta, too. Yeah. All right, boys, we've got to wrap this up. Praise it's after 9 o'clock. It's great to have you, Joe. Thanks for being with Lovely us, Mikey. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for podcasting. Uh, we are now back. The boys are returning from World Youth Day, I think, uh, in the next few days. And so we're rolling into the semester, and uh, we'll be regularly with you on Thursdays.
0: There we go. Remember the poor. That's and, my new thing. And be kind remember the poor.
1: And be kind to cyclists. That's what I'm gonna start saying. To it, <laughs> because we feed some mean people. But Stuff at gmail dot com. Thanks for listening and we will see
0: you next week. Gotcha. I don't know what that is. Gotcha. <laughs>